0: Well, good morning, happy Easter. Uh, this is so good to be with you guys uh, this morning, Easter Sunday. It is the Sunday that we, uh, we're reminded of our story. It is a story of death and resurrection. And we come back to this story weekly. We come back to it around the table every time we gather. Uh, <clears throat> and this is a moment where we remember afresh uh, that death is not the last word on life. It just isn't, because Jesus is alive. Uh, Death is not the last word on life, and that changes things. It changes uh, things forever. Death is not the final word. It's not the last word on your worst moments. It's uh, not the last word on sickness or human frailty. Uh, It's certainly not the last word for the church. Uh, And so uh, we celebrate the victory of God over the grave This Easter Sunday, Uh, and I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, My kids, probably just like your kids, those of you in the room here today, uh, are very creative and have a highly active imagination, which means that when they play together, the most frequent fight is what's the story, like what is the narrative and who's controlling it, like, are we in a sinking ship and that's the problem, or is it a burning building? Or do I have everything powers and you only have mind control? Like, this is how play goes. And the reality is, story's king. What's the story? Depending on the story, reality is shaped, right? It sets the boundaries of what's happening. Story is king. And that's true for us adults as well. The story we inhabit, the story we believe to be the story, is shaping for all of life. And so it answers the key questions. Who are we? Why are we here? What went wrong? Has anything been done about it? Is there anything to be done about it? Story matters. Enter St. Luke, the author of the third gospel, the biographer and historian of Jesus, who puts together all the eyewitness accounts in an orderly fashion and tells us and hands down to us what happened on that first Easter according to the people who were there. And the story goes something like this. It was the first day of the week, a Sunday, and the women who had kept company with Jesus went to go check on his tomb where he had been buried. And they found the tomb empty. The stone that sealed it rolled away. And instead of a body, they found two heavenly hosts, angels, these uh, spiritual beings who s- sat there and asked a question Why are you seeking the living among the dead? Jesus is not here, he is risen. And so the women went and told everything that happened and no one believed them because they did not have any categories for what they were experiencing. It wasn't something any of them thought up on their own. It was something that happened. And so most of us are that way. We don't have categories for what Easter is. We're more accustomed to death than we are to life. And so listen to what Luke tells us happened next. What happens for a community on the other side of the resurrection? Here's what Luke says. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. How could you not be talking about everything that just happened? We had put all of the eggs into the basket of Jesus and his kingdom, and now he's dead. And all their hopes are dashed. They are leaving behind a dream. Emmaus is just some place that's not where you've been. And so they're leaving. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, Luke tells us. Their eyes, he says, were kept from recognizing him. And they said to him, uh, and he, Jesus, said to them, what's this conversation that you're having with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. And one of them named Cleopas answered and said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem? who does not know the things that have just happened, Jesus said, what things? What, what, are you talking, what are you talking about? He just plays dumb. And it's Jesus himself that joins them and walks along the road. They don't get that it's him. Of course, they can't get that it's him. They still can't comprehend the suffering and victorious Messiah. And he, Jesus, does what Jesus always does. He joins people exactly where they are. He meets them in the place they find themselves. He does that for us too. We'll come to that in a minute. And so they say to him, uh, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was gonna be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it's the third day since all this happened. These two travelers articulate why they are sad, depressed, disoriented, and they tell Jesus, they hoped that Jesus had been the one to redeem Israel, God's people, but it turned out he was crucified. They hoped for some kind of nationalistic revival where their pagan enemies would be defeated by the sword, and in their minds, a crucified Messiah was a failed Messiah. A crucified king was no king at all. But Jesus would eventually tell them that it was precisely through these events that their story would be redeemed, that they would have hope in a future. It was how they would be set free from sin, which is all of our rebellion that co-conspires with death to deface creation. And so redemption did happen, and it would actually come through what Jesus did, not in spite of what Jesus did. They go on and say, Moreover, some of our women, the women from our company, amaze us. They were at the tomb early this morning and they did not find his body. They came back saying they had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as they said. These, these women are credible witnesses, they're reliable. Their testimony is far more reliable than our assumptions. Verse 25, Luke tells us that Jesus responds and says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah, the Christ, to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then beginning with Moses, or the first five books of the Bible, all the way through the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Before they could begin to understand who they were encountering, Jesus had to open up the Bible for them and just point out and connect the dots. They had been reading the story through the wrong end of the telescope, thinking that somehow God was going to redeem Israel from suffering. But Jesus reads the story the right way and shows how actually God would redeem Israel through suffering. That, in fact, it would be the suffering that God himself took on through his representative, the Messiah. And the whole Bible story points to this person of Jesus. And so it says that as they drew near to the village to which they were going, he, Jesus, acted as if he were going to go further. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, stay with us. For evening is here and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took the bread and blessed it, broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Amazingly, Luke wants to show us not only the problem, but how it was fixed. He calls, us to, mind, he calls to mind the original meal story. If you remember back in Genesis, the first humans, Adam and Eve, also had a meal, and their eyes were open. They took the opportunity to define good and evil for themselves, symbolically eating this fruit that God had said was forbidden. And it says their eyes were open, they realized they were naked and they hid. They lost God in the equation. The first humans ate a meal and got death. Now, Cleopas and his fellow companion, most scholars think it's his wife, this couple, and again, a man and a woman, share a meal. But this time their eyes are open. Instead of seeing their lack, they see their king. Instead of having a meal and experiencing death, they share a meal and find the one who gives them life. This is what Luke tells us happens. This meal is a meal in which God meets them instead of being hidden from them. And so they say to each other, Did our hearts not burn within us while we talked? He talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And then they rose that same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. They said, seven miles here? Oh, well, let's go seven miles back because we have a story to tell. They found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. then they then told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the Easter story. This is what happens with a risen Jesus. It's a grounding story for a community who walks together and encounters Christ along the way. It gives us a kind of map for the Christian experience in community and points us the way home, if you will. So rather quickly, I just want to walk you through five action words, five places there's action in the story for us to jump in on. Uh, The first is this. There's this action of leaving that we find in the Easter story. We're all leaving somewhere. Just like these two disciples are leaving Jerusalem, we all have a Jerusalem behind us. A dream, a hope, some expectation of how life was going to go. We have something behind us. And Emmaus is the place you head when nothing else works. Emmaus is where you go when you have given up on the dream, when all the illusions of what life would be finally break down and life disappoints you. When perhaps it's that marriage that didn't go like you thought it was going to go. Or perhaps the kids don't fulfill you emotionally like you secretly thought they would. The job doesn't give you meaning like you thought it would. Or the church experience turns out to be one with humans and failure and frailty. Or that achievement of more and better, only leaves you that much more empty. We all leave something, because something eventually lets us down. The Emmaus road works for us on a symbolic level, as the road uh, for the letdown, the road for the disoriented and the confused and the hurting. And this, this kind of leaving that we all have to do, we all have to leave something, it's actually the first step that gets us going on where we need to go because the Emmaus Road is also the road of surprise greeting. The Emmaus Road is the road that leads us to where we didn't realize we actually always had to go all along. Question this morning is, what are you leaving? Is there some hope or dream behind you now? The second thing The second action word is walking. The two travelers travel as a pair. They walk and they walk together. The surprise of the Emmaus Road is not a surprise of a private, spiritual, individualistic experience. The surprise of the Emmaus Road is the experience of Christ together. They meet Jesus on the way together. But whatever this last year has brought you, whatever it has taken from you, Uh, and wherever it has taken you, know this today, that the Easter story means that you are not made to walk alone, but you're actually made to be with God and with his people. The hope of Easter is that Jesus is the kind of person who continues to join travelers as they walk together. This is why in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says in chapter 18, when two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. The Jesus of the Emmaus Road is the Jesus who meets a community, who meets us in relationship. Are you walking with anyone this morning? May this be a church where you walk with, not walk alone. Because the Easter story is the grounding story for who we are. The the next action word that, that orients us to an Easter kind of life, an Emmaus Road kind of way, is the idea of joining. Notice this, though, and here's the twist. It's Jesus who joins. there's There's nothing about Cleopas and perhaps his wife, these two companions. There's nothing about them, no virtue in them, that gets Jesus on the scene. They don't say the right magic words. They don't perform the right actions. They're just leaving in all of their disorientation from a hope that they have. And Jesus graciously, surprisingly visits them. Uh, In fact, this is how Jesus does it. Jesus is not the guru on top of the mountain that you ascend to. Jesus is not the great Oz behind the curtain that you have to get to. He's not waiting behind a series of tests. You don't go to him. He's the one who joins you. He's the one who comes to you whether or not you want him to or not. And so what if we think that we're even trying to get away from him? What if we think that we're actually trying to leave God? The funny thing about Jesus is he surprisingly and shockingly even joins us while we run from him. Maybe that's your story today. Maybe you came obliging a friend or family member and you're here at church today and you've maybe just distanced yourself from God for years. The power of this first Easter is this, that the one who defeated death is also the one who pursues you. He says, I'm gonna pursue you and all of your pursuit of death, in fact, and I'm gonna continue to join you and invite you into life by trying to turn you toward myself. Because whatever quest you have to be happy or to have a meaningful and satisfying life, that quest will never be fulfilled unless it's joined by Jesus and he meets you on the road and brings you home to himself. As St. Augustine famously said at the beginning of his spiritual autobiography, The Confessions, he says, our hearts are restless until they learn to rest in you, O God. As our staff talked this week through the passage Uh, during our staff meeting, we noticed how it is that Jesus joins people in a way that's not overwhelming. He just joins us on the way and points to the scriptures. He joins us in a way that is not some ecstatic uh, spiritual experience, but he just opens the Bible to people and shows himself in it, in word and sacrament, in scripture and meal. There's a simplicity to the way Jesus joins us on the road. We meet him in the story that points to him and we meet him in the meal that remembers him. And so while we meet him in the meal that remembers him, it points us to the fourth action word, which is seen. This Easter story tells us uh, that Jesus' followers leave a dream and, they, and Jesus is utterly veiled to them. They walk together, they're joined by Jesus, and they don't recognize him until he hosts the meal. The disciples invite Jesus in, but Jesus takes on the role of host. In other words, he's saying, this is now my home. This isn't your turf, it's my turf, and you're truly home at my table, is what Jesus does. And he does what he did at the Passover meal. The exact same words are repeated. He takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it. An exact repetition of what had happened in the upper room. Now done again. And the disciples now finally see him. They had traveled the road, but now they're home. Seeing Jesus at the table changes them. They thought they left him dead, but now they recognize him as alive. And here's what I notice about seeing Jesus for who Jesus is. It happens when we receive what he gives. It's simple. To recognize Jesus for all that he is is simply to receive what he offers and he offers life and forgiveness, and he says, your past doesn't have to control you, doesn't have to define you, your worst moments, and your best moments, your all, all of your performance. You don't have to live in the anxiety of continuing to keep it up for something, nor do you have to live in the fear of your past catching up with you. He says, I know it all, and I forgive it all, and I invite you to be truly home and at rest in a relationship with me. In other words, we see Jesus accurately when we receive his grace, what he gives at the table. And then the final action word of the story that grounds us is that there's this telling. So there's a leaving and there's a walking, there's a joining, a scene, and now finally there's a telling. Immediately these disciples head back to Jerusalem and they tell what happened. This road trip changed their world forever. And Luke will tell us in volume two of his story, the Acts of the Apostles, that not only did this road trip change their world, but it will change the entire world because they will go back with a story to tell and now Jesus will send them to the ends of the earth with that story. There is news of something that happened and it's worthy of sharing and Jesus sends us out to tell. So what? Where do we find ourselves within this moment? Perhaps you have been leaving some place of disappointment. Maybe it was God. Maybe it was something else. But as you leave a past behind, know that Easter means that the past is not the final word on your life. That hope, that disappointment, that failed expectation is not the end according to the Easter event. Maybe today you're feeling alone. Maybe this last year tested the limits of your relationships beyond capacity. Easter invites you to be renewed and walking together, to find relationships that aren't predicated on whether or not we agree all the time, but relationships that are built on the one we discuss along the way, Jesus, as the center of the community. The one who walks with us is Jesus. Easter also means that you're joined by a living God, that you don't walk alone, and he wants to be known and seen by you. And to bring you home to himself. And to be brought home means to receive what he has to offer. It means to say yes in faith to his offer of life and forgiveness and a kingdom, his rulership over your life. And so when you see his death in your place and his life for you on offer, you see him accurately. All you can do is receive what he gives. That is to encounter him and receive grace, not to earn anything today with God. This story also has you you and I invited to be transformed and to tell the story. Perhaps today you've just been dormant in this faith for a long time. Easter invites you to tell the story, to be joined to Jesus's mission and to tell good news. So for us, going forward as a church body, what's our story? It's an Emmaus story. Uh, We're invited to follow suit and to walk together and encounter Christ. And so as Tigard and Beaverton come together, we're going to go forward under the name Emmaus to be grounded in this story, to walk together, encounter Christ, He's risen among us, and he's transforming us at his table, and he sends us out to every direction we go to tell the story. It's our grounding story as a church today. And so we'll go from Colossae, Beaverton, and Tigard to Emmaus. We'll go from one difficult word to spell to another difficult word to spell. How many S's? How many M's? Is it A-U-A-E? How does it work? We just had to keep the difficult spelling. But we believe that what God is doing is doing this work of taking us from our disappointments, taking us from a dream that didn't go and calling us to walk together, encounter him and go tell the story of who he is. And it doesn't just play at a local church level. It plays honestly at a societal level. All of us and all, across the world the world, have some story of disappointment, some hurt, something about an old life that finally seems like it's not worth it. And Jesus joins us along the road, on the journey, and calls us home to himself. And so we would hope that all people would find home in Christ as they walk together with us. And so, yeah, there'll be some website and media changes, and we'll do all of that. But for now, know that this is the grounding story. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the features of this story that call us to these convictions and values and ways of walking in an Emmaus kind of reality. Next week, Jeff and I will have a conversation together about what it looks like to walk together. And so, as we walk together, encounter Christ, and tell the story, we'll continue to live into that story of community and formation and mission And the the reality of the Easter story is that Emmaus roads are always just the beginning. It's not the end. They're the beginning. It's an invitation simply to hear Jesus' voice today in the scriptures, to know him in the breaking of the bread and to walk together. These are the ways of resurrection life that Easter summons us to. And so we come to the table, the place where these two disciples actually saw Jesus. They got it because they received what he gave. And so as a church, as our first time together as Beaverton and Tiger, as Emmaus going forward, we'll gather around the table and we'll receive what Jesus gave as the foundation for all that we are and as the celebration for what Christ calls us into. And this is a a sacrament, a meal, a, a participation in God's grace that is for all who call Jesus Lord today. If that's not who he is to you today, you can feel free to not partake. That's okay. But today, if that is who he is, and you see him and you receive his life, take the bread and cup as a symbol of receiving all that he is, of knowing him as Lord. Perhaps today, for the first time ever, you find yourself strangely warmed by the story and you find yourself believing good news, that death is somehow not the end because Jesus is alive, that there's a story here, and that there's an invitation to know the living God, to be loved by him, transformed by him, forgiven by him. If for the first time today, that's where you're at, you're seeing Jesus, he makes sense to you, and you wanna receive what he gives in faith, and come to the table and take it in faith and receive what God has offered. It's a way of saying, yes, in trust, I receive what you've done. And so we will pray here as Michael leads us and we take the elements. There are uh, communion cups at the tables on either side. And so as we're led in worship, can make your way there, albeit somewhat chaotically in this room and back to your table, give each other the space that is appropriate. And come back and receive the bread cup while we're led in song. Let's pray. God of grace, we thank you that you are alive, that you have defeated the grave. And in defeating the grave, you, God, invite us into new life. We thank you that that's represented in what is at the table. Your body given for us, your blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. God, as we celebrate your hosting us, your bringing us home to yourself at the table, God, send us out this week in the power of the Spirit to tell the story as we worship you. In Christ's name, amen.